Jim Collins once wrote a book titled How the Mighty Fall. It's a book about businesses. Businesses that at one time were strong and effective. Yet these businesses went from hero to zero in just, I guess, the last decade or so. You'll recognize some of these businesses. Motorola. Yeah, many of you recognize that name. It was number one in cell phones in, throughout the entire world in 2004. Now you barely hear of them. They're on the brink of bankruptcy. Rubbermaid in 2000 was a vital company and is now no more. Circuit City, we remember that storefront. It was the leader at one time in electronics, and now it's closed. From these examples, Collins sees five stages of demise when a company fails. First, we see the company experiences growth and success. Then the company becomes undisciplined. And the pursuit of more becomes more important than why. Then stage three, we see the denial within companies of risk and danger. Stage four, we see companies begin to grasp at salvation. What he means is they begin to change logos. They begin to change their mottos and they begin to change their design in hopes that that will attract. The problem is they're so close to stage five where they're thrown into irrelevance and even death. That is the five stages of companies failing. And there are parallels with this. There are parallels with the company's failure and also living an undisciplined Christian life. Can you see those parallels? Where we feel we are strong and we are vibrant and we are, we're on fire for the Lord and all of a sudden we, the object of what we're doing becomes more important to us than the object or the person in whom we're doing it for. We fail to acknowledge the danger that we're in and we begin later grasping, just grasping for straws, trying to figure out what can I do until we find ourselves at the brink of death. It seems that Paul, when he is writing this letter, at least in closing out this letter, he sees this before him with this church. And as he sees this, he's giving them a warning on not allowing undisciplined Christians 
to influence us. When we look at today's text, we have to ask our question, what do we do when the Christian life just isn't taken seriously? The Bible tells us in verses 6 through 18, but we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the traditions which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but walked with labor and toil night and day, that, our, that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we did not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but they're busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Do not yet, do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle. So I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. God, we do come before you this day. We thank you for your word and we understand, God, that we are just flesh. God, we're flawed and we fail you in so many ways. But God, we are so thankful that you are faithful and that you love us in spite of who we are, in spite of the, the times that we fail you. So God, right now, we come, we come to you as humbly as we know how, seeking you to help us in this time. Help us all, God. To seek you always and be willing to do what you would have us to do. To trust you in every good work. And to God rely on you in every hard time. So God right now as we look to your word we pray that you would speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. Help us God to receive your word for the truth that it is. And we'll praise you for all that is accomplished. Now, God, we ask that you would touch the heart of each one that is here, that is far from you. Those that don't know you through your son, Jesus Christ. God, we pray that you would speak to them and remind them that you're, that you're right there waiting on them to call upon the name of the Lord. And if they would, that you would forgive them of their sins and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. Oh, God, have your way this day. And we'll praise you for all that's accomplished. In Jesus' name, we do pray. Amen.
As we have looked through this letter of Paul's to the Thessalonian church, I think it would be fair to say that this was a good church. Uh, this was a church that the Apostle Paul commended for their faith. It was a church which continued to grow exceedingly in their love for one another. And, and they abounded, um, they, their love abounded in the face of fierce persecution. This is a church that received Paul's instructions on not retaliating against their persecutors, trusting the Lord would righteously deal with them. This is the church where after false teachers were trying to deceive them concerning the day of the Lord, they were committed to standing fast and holding to the truth that Paul had taught them. This is a church that the apostle Paul asked to be in prayer for him and his companions. He specifically asked that they would pray for their safety and their success in declaring the word of the Lord. This is the church in whom, the, whom Paul had confidence that they would do the things commanded them. <laughs> it would be easy for anyone to see that this is a church worthy of being part of. This is a church that has a lot of good things going for it. At this point, it seems that Paul could have just ended this letter encouraging this congregation. However, the apostle knew something about this church. He was well aware that there was disorder still remaining in the church. Wait a minute, preacher. <laughs> You just rattled off some good things. Where is their disorder? Well, there was a disorder that needed to actually be addressed. There, uh, and we must be aware that we can't hide disorder even in our church. We can be a family, a church family that genuinely loves one another. We can be a church family that embraces biblical instruction for how to live out our lives. We can be a church family that's committed to standing fast and, and trusting the Lord no matter what comes our way. We can be a church family that our community knows that we can reach the throne room of God. People can have confidence that we love, live, and that we share the gospel. The word can go out, out there in his steps is where we're striving to be as a church. You know, maybe I'm a little biased. But <laughs> truth is, I believe that's exactly who we are. It just seems that that's a description of Reedy Branch Baptist Church. And if you're taking notes, just keep those notes and know when someone asks you, tell me something about church. Don't give them a physical address. Just tell them some of those things that we just shared. That's who we are. But I want to encourage us, church, not to be blind. Not to be blind then there just may be some who may try at some point or another of your lives or even in my life to try to infiltrate our church family. 
there might be some that might come along the way who do not take living the Christian life seriously. And we must be aware when there is disorder among us. However, we must not just be aware of this disorder. We must be willing to seek and to follow the Lord's instructions to deal with this disorder. Well, I know I may have your attention or I, or I may have lost you. <laughs> One of the two is probably going on right now. But as we look in this text, in order to do this, in order to be aware we, of disorder, we must be aware of the reality of undisciplined believers. Do you know that's a reality? That people are born again. Their name's been written down. They're on their way to heaven, but they're just undisciplined in the Christian life. In this letter in the church of Thessalonica, Paul, he encourages and he commends the believers. The church as a whole was doing well, living a disciplined life, following the teachings that they had received. However, it became apparent that there was a faction within the church that had plans of their own. This faction seemed to be fine with not living a disciplined life. This faction seemed to be content with living by their own rules. This faction seemed to not care what others thought because they were being disorderly and disobedient. Now it appears that some may have taken the stance that since the Lord is soon coming, that they should literally just wait and watch for his return. The problem is with this. That while they were waiting. Their responsibilities were being neglected. This which resulted in them seeking to. Cast their responsibilities on others. And even the church. Paul goes as far as to remind the church. That though he was preaching. And teaching that the Lord was sure to come. He still did not neglect his responsibilities. Even though Paul had the right to expect the church. To support him financially. While he was serving him uh, and we get this right here in in first corinthians 9 and 11 where he says if if we have sown spiritual things to, for you is it a great thing that we should reap material things in other words in other words he was saying what i'm giving you is so much more important than what you have to give me is it so is it really wrong for me to expect you to want to to take care of the man of god who's going to help you spiritually Paul said, but I wouldn't do that. I had every right, but I wouldn't do that. I didn't want to be a burden upon you. But it wasn't that they were just neglecting their responsibilities. You know, there's something about idle time. <laughs> and we, we've all heard throughout our lives that an idle mind is the devil's workshop. You know, the problem with idle time is you may not be doing anything physically, but your mind is working. Your mind is, is rolling and it's as it's turning and, and it's, it's just working. It seems to find things that it really doesn't need to be noticing. Your mind seems to go in directions that it really has no business when we are 
idle, when we have nothing on our plate, when we've got nothing to do, we can find a problem with everything. But when we're busy about the things that we need to be doing, we don't seem to have time to worry about things that really is not our concern. Is that not right? (laughs) Yeah, this really created a problem. It created a problem to where believers wanted to get in the middle of everyone's business rather than attending to their own business. Now, the Bible teaches us that we are to walk worthy of the calling with which we are called. As a matter of fact, that we find that in Ephesians 4 and 1. And we can't do that by neglecting our responsibilities. We can't walk worthy of our calling, expecting others to take care of things that we should have already been taken care of. We are not walking worthy when we are idle and causing problems for others. If we're striving to live our lives out in his steps, then then we're at work trying to discipline our lives to live in humility and gentleness. If we are striving to live, love, and share the gospel then we will work to discipline our lives to live in patience and love with the goal of strengthening the unity of the church among our the unity of our family within the church tearing each other down will never be a way to become stronger as a church family it's not our privilege or our duty to become a negative presence seeing faults in everything and everyone it's our duty and our privilege to be a a source of comfort, a source of strength and encouragement to others. And that takes work. Can I get real for just a moment? I genuinely want people who love the Lord and love people to join our church. You know, the other a couple weeks ago, it was such a beautiful thing to see six people ready to be a part of our church. And I genuinely want people to join our church. However, I don't want anyone to join who has no intention of being invested in the life of the church. Now, hear me, and I'm, I'm not being critical. I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying something that we should be aware of. And if this is a hill I'm ready to die on, that if, if this is a church who doesn't feel this way, then maybe I'm not the pastor for you. I, I, Anyone can attend functions. Anyone can attend Sunday school. Anyone can attend worship service. You don't have to be invested in the life of the church to do those things. But we expect our members to be invested. Membership in this church does not give anyone a right to sit back and complain and tear down what's going on. 
Instead, it gives us the right to be functioning members. It gives us the right to be involved. It gives us the right to be to invest our lives in the church. And when we are invested in the church, then we should be disciplined in our walk and our work for the Lord. <laughs> it appears to me that this is what Paul is trying to encourage the church in Thessalonica with. Be aware that there are those out there that will want to tear you down. And there's a remedy for that. And he shares the remedy. And we must be aware of the remedy for undisciplined believers. The Apostle Paul shares the remedy for undisciplined Christians... By issuing out a command. And we see that command right there in verse 6. This isn't a suggestion. Instead it's given with an authoritative signature. In verse 6 Paul says. We command you brethren in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no one else in the world that you have met or ever will meet whose word means more than the command of Jesus Christ. This command is not to be taken lightly. It's to be followed. No matter how hard it was, it was to be followed. No matter how insensitive it may have seemed, it was to be followed. No matter how politically incorrect it may have been, it was to be followed. No matter how personal it may have seemed, it was to be followed. And the command was... The command that was to be followed, it was to withdraw. Withdraw from every brother, every sister who walks disorderly and doesn't follow the traditions or the teachings of Paul and his companions. The word withdraw, it means to keep away. Paul had just said in verse 4 that he was confident that the believers do and will do the things he commanded them. I guess it was time to test that theory. Because there in verse 6, he tells them to withdraw. To withdraw from those who walk disorderly. And in verse 14, he says it again. If anyone does not obey our word in this apostle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Now, that phrase, to note that person, it is to disapprove of of their behavior. It's to let him know that his refusal to work is not acceptable. It is to not condone or not indulge in their idleness. This gives the idea that this form of discipline for the brother was intended to stir repentance in their hearts. It's, as a matter of fact, Paul states that the undisciplined believers should not be counted as an enemy. But we are to admonish them as a brother. <laughs> the word admonished here is the same word that Paul used or that's used in, in Acts 20 and 31. Where Paul says, therefore, watch and remember 
that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Well, Paul, that word here, admonished, it means to warn people. When we warn somebody, we care about the consequences they may have to face. Isn't that why you warn your children? Don't touch that hot stove. Don't stay out too late with my car. Be careful who you have in the vehicle with you. Don't go to those people's homes. Stay away from that club. We warn them because we know there are consequences and we want them to avoid those consequences. And Paul says here that we should admonish. We should warn Undisciplined believers, how they are falling. Reading this, I can't help but think of John Mark. Many of you know the story of John Mark and Paul. You know about their encounter. Paul and Barnabas, they took John Mark along with them when they left Antioch for the mission field. And it wasn't very long before Paul realized that John Mark was just an un. He was just too undisciplined for the mission field. After reaching the island of Paphos, Paul and Barnabas, Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark encountered witchcraft. And when they, it appears that after seeing Paul's boldness in his confrontation with the sorcerer and how the Holy Spirit actually used Paul, It had an effect. It had a terrible effect on John Mark. You would think that it would have encouraged him. But I believe it just scared him to death. Listen, if they are encountering this, I might have to encounter it and they may not be here. How do I know that I'm going to react the same way? How do I know that I can do this? I can't do what he done. Does that sound familiar? Preacher, I can't do that. I, I can't lead that team. Preacher, I can't, I can't teach that class. Preacher, I can't, I can't lead that committee. Preacher, I can't do that. When we're not trusting the Lord that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. <laughs> yeah, Mark, he abandoned ship. When they got to Pamphylia, Mark went back to Jerusalem. And these guys continued on. The mission field. Maybe Mark was just overwhelmed by what he witnessed and realized he was over his head. Maybe he felt he needed to mature more in his Christian walk. Maybe he didn't realize just how unprepared he was for the mission field. Because obviously he wasn't aware of all that they would encounter. But whatever reason he leaves Paul and Barnabas. He didn't just leave them. He left them at a time. When they would need his help. After this mission trip was over, they returned back to Jerusalem. But after some days, Barnabas and Paul had an itch. An itch to go back to the mission field. They wanted to visit these churches that they had, they had been to and they had preached in. That they had seen the glory of God work in. But the issue of John Mark going back with them came up. Barnabas wanted to take him with them. But Paul said, oh no. I'm not taking that undisciplined man with me. Paul refused. He wanted to remain withdrawn from Mark. 
Paul seemed to think he was just too undisciplined for the rigors of mission work because he had left them once. But Barnabas seemed to feel that John Mark had repented. Barnabas seemed to feel that he was ready to be restored as a missionary. However, Paul's unwillingness to compromise resulted in Barnabas and Paul separating. Barnabas went on with John Mark and had a successful ministry because Barnabas didn't withdraw permanently. Paul took Silas and had a successful ministry. But when Paul was leaving this world, when he knew his time was at hand, he sent for the parchments. He wanted to have the word of God with him. And he wanted a coat. And he sent and said, tell John, tell John Mark to bring them to me. Paul wanted to rectify that at that time. Maybe, maybe Paul had heard about Barnabas and, and Mark's adventures and, and he realized that Mark had repented and he wanted to just make things right. Folks, anytime we're exercising any sort of discipline, it has to be with the intent of reconciliation. Please do not misread this message. The context here, the context here is that there were able-bodied, active church members who were living undisciplined lives. This resorted in disorderly and disobedient conduct. They were refusing to honor their responsibilities and suggesting that they should be taken care of. And in the meantime, they were causing chaos by getting in everybody's way and in everybody's business. You know, maybe this is where we get the thought, God helps those who helps themselves. You know, that's not in the Bible, but we, we, we have that thought in mind. I'm not sure, but too often churches will have church members who look at their membership as having a right to be served. But this is not the case with church membership. If that's what you're looking for, maybe you need to join a country club. If you want to go somewhere and pay dues and say, well, I give that, so now you serve me. That's a that's for a country club. You know, we have a tendency, and we've probably heard it. I know no one in this church has ever said it before. I'm sure of it. And if you have, I forgive you. But, but there are those who say, well, I pay my tithes. I have a right. No, you don't. You have a right to give God what God calls for. Just because we pay our tithes doesn't give us the right. Hmm. To cause trouble. <laughs> well, <laughs> church membership gives us the right to seek ways to use our gifts to serve the church. That's what church membership does. And I'm convinced that when there is a need, then the church will work together seeking to meet that particular need. However, when able bodied, active church members are undisciplined and are disorderly and disobedient, then we're commanded to withdraw from them. 
We're not commanded to sit around and gossip about them. Hear me well. That is not what we're commanded to do. We're not commanded to openly rebuke them. We are commanded to withdraw, to to back away, to keep away from. We can be sure that our words are not going to help. However, our actions will speak louder than words. But when the opportunity does arise, we are to, in brotherly love, warn them of their disorderly conduct. Giving way for them to repent and be received and restored to the church family. Church family, let me say, as Paul said in verse 13, do not grow weary in doing good. Continue to do good. As long as we are in this broken world, we're going to encounter broken people because we're broken ourselves. We will encounter people with hidden agendas. But let's continue to be disciplined in following the commands of the word of God. We can't let bad experiences keep us from doing good work. Work that we've been called to do. Unsaved. I know you're smiling. I said that ain't got nothing to do with me, preacher. You've been talking to the church today. Unsaved, I, I plead with you. To not allow a bad experience with a church or with an undisciplined Christian to hinder you from submitting your life. To Jesus Christ. God loves you so much. That he sent his only begotten son. To live to die. And to rise from the dead. For you. He lived to give you. An example to follow. I'm not your example. The church is not your example. Jesus Christ. Is the example. He died to provide forgiveness for you. And he arose to give you hope. Hope that the world can't give. So I plead with you today. As every head's bowed and every eye's closed. And everyone is praying along with me. To not allow a bad experience. With a church. We don't know where the other side of life will begin for you. I pray it's down the road, but I'm not in control. And neither are you. So the question is today, are you willing to forget what others have done to you? And submit yourself to the one who's done everything for you. Submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who lived, died, and arose. Who sent his Holy Spirit and who is now convicting your heart. Are you willing to trust him with your life? Are you willing to... Let him show you what joy and peace and hope really is.